We are currently in Jeremiah. We have been looking at the fact that God's plan prevails. And we see this, that ultimately this entire book, it is working together for God's glory. He, he is piecing all these things together and working all these things together. And God's plan prevails. Today, we are going to be looking at a little bit different wording of this because we're going to look at how God's plans prevail. So singular his plan, God has this overarching plan that he is working together throughout eternity for his glory, um, but he also has these plans. He has, there are details to the plan. Uh, there are these individual things that he's dealing with over here and over here and over here, these plans that he works together to fit the overall plan. And, and today we will see how God's, plan, God's plans prevail, not the enemies. Because you know that God has plans, right? But people that are not necessarily for God, people who are against God, they have their own plans. In fact, sometimes we have our own plans that don't line up with what God desires. And so God's plans prevail not the enemies. And so the last few weeks, we have been looking at different things, and I want to tell you about that in, in just a moment as we lead into our message. Uh, but first, I, I will tell you that this morning, uh, when I messed up and stuttered through the welcome, and then I started over, and your, your welcome back to me was so much better the second time that I have determined that if I mess up during a sermon, I'm just going to start over. And... Oh, no, you don't like that? Okay, all right. All right, well, we'll get back to the sermon then this morning. So God's plans prevail, and over the last few weeks, we have been looking at these different things. First, we were setting up Jeremiah, where we saw what happened in the life of Josiah, the boy king who grew up into a man who was a great king, did some great things, and died early, died fairly young. And then we moved on into Jeremiah, and we have looked at how God, some of God's plans already. For example, uh, God, before Jeremiah was even in the womb, God knew him, and God had plans for him. He consecrated him, appointed him a prophet to the nations, Jeremiah chapter 1 tells us. And then last week, we looked at how even though God had these plans, Jeremiah had excuses of why he could not be part of the plan, or a major part of it anyway. He couldn't be a prophet because he was too young. And of course, God accepted that excuse and found another prophet. Oh, no, okay, my bad. It wouldn't be called Jeremiah if that was the case, would it? Um, No, God did not accept excuses. He does not accept our excuses. He didn't accept Jeremiah's excuses. Now, I will say that there are times when um, God has called someone to do something and they have refused or just did not do it the way they were supposed to, and God did move on to the next person, but that is not the case in Jeremiah. Uh, King Saul comes to mind as someone who had, he was the king, he had the ability to remain the king if he would have just done what God had told him to, uh, but he didn't. So God appointed, uh, anointed David as king. And so, but back to Jeremiah, we're going to see how God's, plans prevail. And in this specific case today, we're going to see God has called Jeremiah to be his prophet. I will put my words in your mouth, is what he's going to say. And yet, 
that doesn't mean that what God has called Jeremiah to will be easy. And in the same sense, for many of us in this room today, life can be extremely difficult. Life can be tough. But we were just talking about in Sunday school um, about how, you know, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That, that uh, you know, our bodies are fragile. That we, life is fragile. And we can be pressed from every side but not crushed. And, and we were discussing those things, and it lines up so well with where we are here in Jeremiah. So if you have your Bible, if you will turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, and the words will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, says this, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. What is this reminiscent of? Yeah, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is in the throne room, and woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I am of people of unclean lips. And an angel came over with a burning coal and touched his lips. And so here, similarly, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So there goes Jeremiah's excuse, right? Because <laughs> he, he didn't know, he was too young, he didn't know what to say. Well, God has taken care of that. Um, last week when we were talking about how God accepts no excuses, uh, I knew this verse was coming. And we discussed a, in a little bit how, yes, God doesn't accept excuses, but the reason that he doesn't accept excuses is because if he has called us to do something, then he will equip us to do that thing. And so what has God called you to do? It's clear here for Jeremiah, he is called to be a prophet. His job, as we are about to see defined, will be to go and speak to certain people to tell them the message that God has given him. Um, I'm called to preach. I'm called to other things, but one of the things I'm called to do is I'm called to preach. So it's my job to prepare sermons and to study God's Word and to know God's Word and to be able to preach it, to proclaim it, not just here from the pulpit in front of you guys, but any time I need to be ready to, to preach God's Word. And each of us have individual callings. I'm called to be a good father, a loving father, a, a father who raises my children in the ways of the Lord. I'm called to do that because God's Word specifically tells fathers to do that. And so there, I'm not just called to one role. You are not just called to one role. So what has God called you to do? Maybe you've been struggling lately because you're thinking, I, I believe that I'm supposed to be doing something for God, but I'm not exactly sure what that is. Well, if you ask God, I'm sure he will make it clear to you. But I can tell you that if there is sin in your life, it could be sometimes difficult to discern what God is trying to say. Um, there are times in the Bible where it, it, Isaiah 59 comes to mind where the God's people are crying out to him for help, but they're not turning from their sin. And God says, is my arm too short that I cannot save or my ear too dull that I cannot hear? No, your sins have caused a separation between you and your God. And so if, there might be some of you in here today who, are, who is wondering, what is God's plan for me? What is God's will for me? And I would say, first, turn to him for salvation. If, if, 
that is the, his ultimate plan for everyone is to have a relationship with him, to live for him, to be, for him to bless us and for us to glorify him and eventually spend an eternity with him. That is God's plan for each one of us. That's the starting point. But once we're saved, that's not like, oh, okay, I'm, I've taken care of that. Now let me live life however I feel best. Because we can leave a path of destruction behind us that we can't just do that. We have to live life the way that God has called us to live it. And God has called us to live it in some very specific ways. Um, You can look to his word for clarification on what that looks like. What does it look like for me to live my life for God? What has he called me to do? But then, in addition to generally what his word says we see that God does call specific people to do specific things. And for you, it might be difficult to discern that if you've just become a Christian or if you're living with unrepentant sin, sin that's in your life that you have not asked God to forgive you for, that you have not turned away from. Sometimes it can be hard to discern what God is calling you to do when you're in a situation like that. So what do you do in situations like that? Well, you turn from that sin. You ask God to forgive you, and you repent. You, you say, I know this is wrong. Let me do what is right. This is t- going towards sin. Let me go toward God. We repent. And then you have people around you, some of them, many of them in this room, who love you and who are willing to help. But, but none of us can help if we don't know what needs to be helped. None of us can pray for specific things if we don't know what those things are to pray about. And so you find people that you trust inside of this room, or if you're visiting us today in in your local Christian community, you find people who you trust and you live life with them. And when you're struggling, you're honest with them. And you got to find people who aren't going to go tell the whole town, right? You got to find people who aren't going to gossip, who you can trust to open up to. And you never know 100% sure. Sometimes you just got to take that risk. But we do this together. And so today we're going to look at the life of Jeremiah and what God has called him to do. And God has called him to be a prophet. And we just read that God put, he touched his mouth and put his words in his mouth. And we're going to see that that Jeremiah wasn't doing this alone. He had other people. One of those people, Barak, we will talk about today. And we will see um, that Jeremiah was not alone in living for the Lord. But I will say that there weren't too many people living for God. There weren't too many people who were willing to do what God had called to do. And as we have already talked about in Jeremiah, there were even many of God's people who were following other gods, lowercase g, gods. And they were even doing abominable things like sacrificing their children to these gods. Now, we serve a God who sacrificed his child for us, of course, Jesus was, was not a literal child who did not have the capacity to, to, to not go through with this. Jesus was, a, a, was God, right? He is God, and he became a man. And as a man, he had this choice to make of whether to follow through with this plan or not. But God's plan prevails, right? So Jesus, of course, he did follow through with it. And here we go back to Jeremiah and we're going to see another example of someone following through with God, what God has told them to do. I have to get back to this point where I'm supposed to be for time's sake. Um, because not only are we going to look at Jeremiah chapter 1, but as you saw on the slide earlier, 
we're also going to take a peek into Jeremiah chapters 26, 36, and 45. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write those down because we will not be reading Jeremiah 26, 36, and 45. I will just be summarizing what happened in, in, those, in those chapters. Um, because as we've mentioned, Jeremiah is not written in order. It's not written in chronological order. It kind of goes back and forth depending on the, the, what, it's, what he's trying to say in that part of the book. And so, um, let's go ahead and look at verse 10. Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. Verse 10, see, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So, here we see, it's very clear the kind of prophet Jeremiah is going to be. He is going to be a prophet who comes in and tells the people, you have not repented, therefore this will happen. Now, interestingly enough, in, in Scripture, if people are willing to repent, even after a prophecy has been declared, if people are willing to repent, God relents from the disaster that is to come. And we saw that in Jonah when we studied Jonah. For those of you who, who were here during that time, uh, there was a reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. First, Nineveh, they were some bad dudes, right? They had done a lot of, and, and I would say that a little, you know, lightheartedly, but they really were. They had killed a lot of people. They had de- destroyed a lot of countries. And Jonah didn't want to go there because they were his enemies. He, he despised them. And second, he didn't want to go there because he knew that God was going to, that they would listen to the prophecy and that the people of Nineveh would repent and that when they did, God would not destroy them. And he said, I don't want to go because I know what's going to happen. Now that might sound weird that a man of God, a prophet, would not want to go do the very thing that a prophet is supposed to do and to see the very fruit that a prophet longs to see, but there, it's complicated. And if you want to know more about that, just go to our website, and you can go back and listen to uh, me preaching through Jonah. And so, uh, back to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 10, we see that he has a very specific thing that God has called him to do. He's going to set him over nations and over kingdoms. So he's not just going to be a prophet to Israel, he's going to be a prophet to the surrounding kingdoms as well. And what's he going to do with this prophecy? To pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow. God is coming to show his wrath. God is coming to say, look, you're going to sacrifice babies. You're going to worship other gods. You're going to do these things. Then we're going to clear the path. We're going to start over here. And then that, that ends the verse, to build and to plant. Verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now, this kind of loses something in translation, because in the original language, the word for almond and the word for watching, they have one little sound that's different. So they're basically the same words. There's a play on words here. And so, but the, the gist of this is, God knows what's happening. He is, he's over Israel and he's in the, over the nations. He's watching and he sees what's going on. And 
his word that he put on Jeremiah's lips, which we just read, he is going to make sure that it comes to fruition. He's watching over it. If God has said that he is going to do something, what is he going to do? It. Whatever it is. God is faithful. He does not change. Now, there are times when in Scripture where it appears that God goes back on his word, but it was a conditional prophecy. This is going to happen unless you repent. This is going to happen if this happens. In those conditional prophecies, that they're conditional. They might happen, they might not. It depends. We have a part to play in on whether they happen or not. Um, when, when Jonah went to Nineveh and he told the people what was going to happen, they repented. Therefore, it didn't happen. And I'm just going to... I know I keep giving you all these spoilers for Jeremiah, but the people in Jeremiah do not repent. So the, the prophecy that God is saying here, it's going to happen. Because it, it, if it's conditional or not conditional, it doesn't matter because the people don't repent. And so it's going to happen. Verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. So what he's saying is that he's talking about Babylon, but they don't know this yet, but there's this country. And by the way, there's there's only really north and south. I mean, you've got a sea over here and uh, uh, desert on the other side. And so... You've got to make sure you can't really go west toward the sea or east toward the desert. So they've got to come from the north or the south. So they know it's not Egypt, right, because Egypt is south. They could probably guess what countries they could be talking about, but the people don't believe the prophecy anyway. And so, um, anyway. All right, let's look at verse 15. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, And they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, all around and against all the cities of Judah. Well, if you know the story, after Babylon comes in, guess who else comes in? Every nation that doesn't want Judah to be rebuilt. And so verse 16, And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work. He's telling Jeremiah, who's going to be telling the people, get ready. And Jeremiah has a job. And he better get dressed for work. How many of you have ever um, done... Plumbing outdoors. Anybody ever done plumbing outdoors? A few of y'all. How many of you have ever had to work in a septic tank? It's a nice image for a Sunday morning, huh? Uh, so one time, I was living with this couple, and uh, I was a college student, and for my rent, I couldn't afford um, couldn't afford to pay rent, you know. So I had to work for it and so I would mow mow a yard I would do all these odd jobs to to help cover my room and board Uh, 
And one of the things that we did is there was a church that they went to and their septic tank was stopped up. I'm not going to say with what. It was gross. I'll just say that. And uh, so I had to get down in the tank on this ledge and I was holding this dude's hand and scooping stuff out of the septic tank. It, It dawned on me as I was standing on that ledge that I was not dressed for work in my tennis shoes and shorts and that maybe I should be wearing something a little better to be doing this sort of work. Um, There have been times, how many of you have ever been duck hunting? Anybody in here ever been duck hunting? Y'all are not from southeast Arkansas. Okay. So if you don't know about duck hunting, most of the time you have to put on waders and you go into the water in the middle of the winter. There are men who break the ice as they're going into, I don't, I'm not a duck hunter, okay? I just think they're lunatics. But anyway, um, you better be dressed for that kind of, of, well, that's not work, but you know what I'm saying. You better be dressed for it. And here, God is telling Jeremiah, dress yourself for work. Well, how can a prophet dress himself? He better be relying on God. He better be ready to go through whatever is ahead of him. And and I just want to take this opportunity to let you know that if I was sitting up here claiming that I'm dressed for work and whatever God brings at me and I'm ready for it, I, I would be a hypocrite because I'm not. I am, like we were talking about this morning, this jar of clay, I'm this fragile thing that without God, I have no hope. There are days when I don't even know how I'm going to make it through with God. And that has nothing to do with Him. It has everything to do with me and, and the level of my faith and maturity. But Jeremiah was in the same boat. Jeremiah, just a few verses earlier, was saying, I can't do this. I'm too young. And God is saying, yes, you can. By the way, here are the words that I'm putting in your mouth. And then he tells him to dress for work. There's no time to play here. Dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. God has called us to obey him. God has called us to live for him. There are those of us in this room right now who if we were to obey God, there is no telling what he might do through us. There is no telling how he might use us. There is no telling the number of lives who might be touched and reached for God and His glory and for their salvation and for their good if we were to just be the people that God has already called us to be. And so we try to make excuses, and we looked at last week how God doesn't accept those excuses, but it goes farther. He doesn't accept those excuses, and He tells us to get up and get ready for work because it's time to go. And if you already have Jesus dwelling in you, if you already have a relationship with Him, if He has saved you, then it's time. It's time to arise and do what God has commanded us to do. For Jeremiah, that was to be a prophet and to say to them everything that I command you. And then he says this, Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. This is some crazy stuff. Jeremiah is about to be speaking to the leaders of the country. He's going to be in the presence of kings. 
And God is saying, you do not be dismayed or I will dismay you. Verse 18. And I, behold, I make you, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the, king of, the kings of Judah. Notice that plural, kings, because Jeremiah will be a prophet for a while. Against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you. Does Jeremiah have an easy road ahead? No. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. He's going to see some terrible things. It's things that he wouldn't wish on his enemies. He wants them to repent. But they won't. And in Jeremiah's case, his main enemies are his own country people, his own countrymen, the other Israelites in Judah. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So we see here in Jeremiah chapter 1, this whole book, this is the foreshadowing of everything. It's the prophecy of everything that is to come. Everything that we're going to be reading and studying. And it doesn't take long. Even while Josiah is alive, we see that the people don't want to listen to Jeremiah. And that they are very rebellious against what God wants. Against what course the king wants and it's what the others want but if you have your bibles you can turn with me to chapter 26 i might not even reference a specific verse i'm just going to be summarizing here Um, but there's this time in the beginning of the reign of jehoiakim who is the son of josiah and now jehoiakim was not he wasn't faithful like his dad and there's this time in the beginning of his reign where, and, and let me be clear here, where the priests and prophets of God, of God, come against Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is prophesying that these bad things are going to happen. That if the people don't repent, God is going to destroy Judah. He is going to take them as captives into Babylon he, he is saying these crazy things according to the priests and prophets of the time. And the priests and the prophets of the time want to kill him. This is similar to, to Jesus, but this is similar to many prophets. In fact, this is one of the things that is said in the New Testament. God sent you prophets and priests and kings and you, you wanted to kill. And this is what happens here. Jeremiah tells them and, and, and I guess verse 8 says, When Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the peoples laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Does Jeremiah have it easy? No. But what has God promised him? His plan will prevail. What God has said will happen, will happen. God is watching over his word. The, the words that he put into Jeremiah's mouth, the words that he told him to say, God is watching over that. He will make sure 
that it happens. Reminds me of Isaiah, God's word will not return void, right? God, what God says is going to happen. And even though the people lay hold of him, even though the people says you're going to die, they had their own plans, but the enemy's plans will not prevail. They might, it might seem that they have won some temporary battles, or that Satan has won some temporary battles. But what's the end for evil, for evil people, for Satan? Well, if for those of us, for the evil people, if they don't turn to Jesus for salvation, then hell. For Satan, for sure, hell. We've already been told. We already know the end. We can see it in Revelation. We can see it in a couple of places in Scripture, what the end is going to be. But something interesting happens in verse 16 of Jeremiah 26. The officials and the people, and, um, the, they said to the priests and the prophets, what are you doing? This man doesn't deserve death. He doesn't deserve to die. You know, this happened before when Micah prophesied. And so the interesting thing here, Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. So I know it can be a little confusing when you're looking at the Old Testament and you're like, okay, when did this happen and who was king and who were the prophets? So Micah was not a contemporary of Jeremiah. He was before Jeremiah. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. And he prophesied during the days of King Hezekiah of Judah. Um, And when he did that, Micah told him that Zion, Jerusalem, Judah, that Zion, the mountain, shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. And so the, the people, the officials, asked the prophets and the priests, um, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all of Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to, to bring a great disaster upon ourselves. And so the prophets and the priests are wanting to kill the, the true prophet of the time. And it's just the regular officials and the people that are like, hey, hold on a second. Isn't this guy from God? And I don't think we need to skip over this. And the reason we don't is for a couple of reasons. One reason why we're looking at it today is because God told Jeremiah this would happen. If we go back to Jeremiah chapter 1 and we look at verses 9 through 19, we will see that God has told him, you're going to speak these things and people will come against you, but my word will prevail. You will prevail because I'm protecting you. You will be an iron pillar. And so that's one reason why we're covering it. Another reason why we're covering it is because I believe we have to be careful as a church. We have to be careful as churches in, in America and throughout the world. Because it can be very easy for us to follow the wrong teachers and the wrong teachings. It can be very easy for us to do that. Things that people take 
and twist and make this say whatever they want it to say. You have to be careful when you hear someone referring to like one or two verses or two or three verses and they're saying, hey, God has said this in His Word and you're like, hmm, that doesn't seem to match up with all these other things in His Word where He says this and this and this and this and this. If you have like this red flag that comes off, that goes off, you, you need to pay attention to that. Because let me ask you a question. Can prophets and priests or in our day... Preachers and teachers, can they be wrong? Yeah. In fact, they can be as far as you can get from right. Because that's where these prophets and priests were. Jeremiah is the man called by God, and they're going against what he has said. They're trying to kill him, even. And the, and the officials and the, just the people had to remind them uh, God's done this before. He's brought a prophet to warn us. And that time, we repented, and God relented. And if you know your history, uh, Judah repented. The northern kingdom didn't. Where is the northern kingdom during, during Jeremiah? Gone. Because they didn't repent. And Judah's saying, uh, the, the officials and, and the people are saying, uh, guys, don't you remember this? But let's see what the king says. Jeremiah chapter 36, God comes to Jeremiah and he says, hey, get Barak to write down everything that you've said. All these sermons you've preached over the years and the, the prophecy that I'm going to tell you now, get him to write all this down. By the way, that's probably what we have here in Jeremiah, uh, of the stuff that had happened up to the point of Jeremiah chapter 36 uh, is what Barak wrote for us. So... There's a little catch to what I'm saying. You'll see in just a moment. But Barak writes all this stuff down, and then Jeremiah says, okay, now go read this to Jehoiakim, the king. Go read this to him because I'm not allowed into his presence anymore because I've said stuff that he doesn't like, uh, and he'll kill me. So you go and you read him these prophecies that I've said. So Barak writes everything down meticulously, everything that Jeremiah says, word for word. It's perfect. It's ready to present to the king. He goes to the king. He reads it. And Jehoiakim takes the scroll and he throws it in the fire. And he takes the next scroll and he throws it in the fire. And he burns all the words of Jeremiah that Barak wrote. Does that stop the word of God? Nope. Barak comes back, tells Jeremiah what happened. Jeremiah says, write it again. And, and we know what happens. Now, here's something interesting. In Jeremiah chapter 1, would you say that Jeremiah's demeanor is resolved and ready to go to battle? Or would you say his demeanor is scared, unsure, and not dressed for work? It's the latter. It's, it, he's not. He's scared. And yet, God does something in him. That by the time we get to Jeremiah chapter 45, he's talking to Barak, and Barak is, is down in the dumps. Anybody ever been there? Okay. Probably all of us in the room. And Barak is like, man, this is insane. Nobody's listening. 
all, you know, he's, he's exactly where Jeremiah was earlier in the book, in, in parts we haven't even gotten to yet. Jeremiah gets very down. And he comes to Barak in, in chapter 45, and he says, look, he basically says, dress for action. Get ready. It's not over yet. This is what God is doing, and it's not going to be easy. God has, is coming to bring destruction, and he's going to spare you. That's kind of the, toward the end of that short chapter. He's going to spare you, but he is doing this, and this is the time that we live in. And so we have to be prepared to go through whatever God has called us to go through. These are hard words for us today. These were hard words for Barak. They were hard words for Jeremiah when God brought them to him. These were hard words. But we live in a time and in a culture that says that you don't have to suffer. You do what's best for you. You do whatever makes you happy. And look at what that is doing. Look at the, the broken families and the chaos that is being left in the wake of that type of attitude. Should, should we care about what makes us happy? Yes. But should that be our, our number one priority? No. What God desires, what glorifies Him, what's, what's best for the whole, not just for us. You think of a parent. Can a parent just do whatever makes that parent happy? No. We can't do that. It's not what's best for our family. I'm sure there were times this week, being at home with Emma, where Rose was like, uh, this tonsillectomy stuff is for the birds. I'm gone. You're in charge, Philip. She knows that uh, she would have to meet us at the ER later if she left me in charge. But, but she didn't because she's going to do what's best for our family. What's best according to God's glory for our family. That's what we have to do. We have to, to take into account what God has called us to do and what He has told us to do. So where are you this morning? Do you even know what God has called you to do? Do you even know what you're supposed to be doing right now? If not, why? Do you have a relationship with Him? If you don't have a relationship with Him, you can get saved this morning. You can ask Jesus to, to forgive you of your sins. You can become a follower of His right now. You can put your trust in Him, and there is nothing better even when there's chaos around, even when hardships come, even when the world around us seems to be falling apart and making no sense, God is good. And we get to have a relationship with Him. And this is temporary. All this pain and all this suffering and all this chaos, it is temporary. There is going to be a day when th this is no more. No more pain, no more tears, where we only have the joy of being with God for an eternity. And what He has created us to do and called us to do, we will do for an eternity. So what are we doing right now? If you don't have a relationship with Him, you can have a relationship with Him. If you do have a relationship with Him, are you doing what He has called you to do? Are you being faithful? If not, dress for work. Arise. Do what God has told you to do. It is time. And you might be saying, but I don't know what that is. Well, what do you know? Because I guarantee you, you know enough to get started right now. 
There are things you shouldn't be doing that you need to stop doing. And there are things that you should be doing that you need to start doing. And if you don't know what those are, then you need to find someone who does know. You need to find a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a deacon, so many of the leaders in our church. You need to find them and you need to go to them and you need to say, I need help. Here's where I am. Here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. What do I do? And if they're spiritually mature, they're going to be able to help you. Even if it's just by saying, I, I don't know either. Let's, let's study God's Word and pray together and see where it leads us. They're going to be able to help you. So where are you this morning? You respond to God in whatever way He's leading. But this morning, during this invitation, invitation my challenge to you is to dress for work and get ready to go. What has He called us to do? What has He called you to do?